0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones: A marital Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy, and I'm Sydney McElroy. And it's—I mean—it's happening, Sid. I—I I don't know how else to say it, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's happening. I know. Um, it's a this is a very exciting day. Podcast history is being made here. I—I I cannot imagine if this episode of the podcast does not have this title. Somebody call Guinness because this is, I believe, the first podcast in history that features two Justin McElroys in the
1: same episode. I think so. I'm but thrilled. Definitely the most Justin McElroys that have ever been in a podcast easily, episode. Easily, <laughs> easily.
0: There's one other Justin McElroy that keeps um, like filling out insurance applications and trying to buy cars in Missouri and for some reason just keeps putting my name <laughs> down and my email address. It is, he is a Justin McElroy. He's a valid Justin McElroy. But I think people guess at the name, his email address. No, like, that's probably Justin McElroy. And then they they try to figure it out.
1: Oh, yeah, okay, like, so he's yeah, not he's trying to— He's using my
0: email address <laughs> rather than writing his own email address. Oh. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, welcome to, from the CBC, Vancouver or British Columbia, depending, the municipal affairs reporter, Justin McElroy. Hello, Justin McElroy.
2: Hello, Justin McElroy. Wow.
0: I cannot believe we're finally on the same podcast. This is fantastic.
2: After a decade of misplaced DMs and emails and weird jokes, this is it.
0: I've gotten so many fascinating emails about the inner workings of municipal affairs in both Vancouver and British Can- – <laughs> uh, British Columbia, thanks to you, Justin, uh, that I've always forwarded on to you. Um,
2: and I appreciate it. I have not forwarded on nearly as many DMs about Mountain Dew Dorito chips or <laughs> uh, chili-flavored Oreos or whatever – the heck else it is that you get excited about on one of your seventy thousand podcasts? And I apologize for not communicating all of those, but there's so many, yeah, uh, yeah. and you have such you have such fans with such weird food tastes uh, that I don't want to overburden you any more than you this, are. Yeah, the signal to
0: noise ratio is is
1: <laughs> are they are they like fifty percent cereal, and then I imagine like I don't know another twenty five percent haunted dolls. And yeah just... no I've
2: gotten a few. This is I I don't uh, uh, th- and I'll have to be honest, I do not listen to uh to my brother and my brother and me, but I feel that I get an arc of what is being discussed <laughs> and what are your bits based on the intensity and the selection of DMs that happen?
0: I don't well, I don't read all of your report- reporting on the municipal affairs and over in British Columbia. So there So <laughs> we are uh we specifically wanted to have you on the show not because of the in- incredible power of your name, but uh, also because you have uh, filled a lot of your hours in the past few years reporting on um, the, the COVID pandemic, um, specifically from kind of a data perspective. Um, where did you, let's, let's take it back a little bit. How did you, what did you get started uh, reporting? What was sort of your beat before all this happened?
2: Yeah, so just, I was not, a, as maybe some of your fans uh, th- think of me and sometimes message a, a Vancouver crime reporter uh, that always looks at bodies in, in sewer holes, uh, but <laughs> I was a, uh, I was a, just a local news general assignment reporter for a while, and then I turned into a municipal affairs reporter, which basically covering city halls uh, across uh, the province of British Columbia here. Uh, and, and you know pr- property taxes and potholes and people trying to ban pigeons from backyards and things like that. Uh, but I had always done a bunch of things with uh, charts and stats. Uh, I always found it interesting where you could insert them into stories and, and people would uh, it would reveal things about it that were a little bit more quantitative as opposed to qualitative. it create gives the story a little bit more authenticity and legitimacy if you're saying, hey, this is what it's like compared to everywhere else. So when politician A is saying our taxes are too high or too low, you can say, well, actually, here's a chart, and here's where it shows. So that was always sort of interesting to me. Uh, and then in uh, March, early March 2020, uh, I uh, was in early contact with someone who might have had COVID, uh, and I was sent home from our newsroom uh, for two weeks, uh, about a week before any it started becoming a global pandemic. And I started to think of, well, what can I do to be helpful in this situation? I can't do my regular job for two weeks. uh, And this looks like it's going to be an ongoing thing. And and at the time in British Columbia, we were starting to get daily reports on this pandemic and there would be, and it's very depressing to, to to say this. It's like there would be two cases a day or yeah. three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one day it's sp- it spiked up to six. Uh, but this was data and it wasn't really being collated anywhere by the government or shown in a visual way. Uh, and so I said to my bosses, what if I try doing this for a little bit and uh, we'll just see if it's useful. We'll see how the audience reacts and we'll just do it once a day. Uh, And they said, sure. Uh, And from doing it once a day and saying, we'll see how far it goes, went from 18 months where literally every single day that the data was delivered, which was either five or six days a week. uh, That was my job, uh, showing that data, doing five or six or seven charts. Showing what it meant uh, to an increasing number of British Columbians as things went along, uh, and it very quickly morphed into my full time job, uh, which was a huge change from what it was before, <laughs> but something that deeply mattered to a lot of people.
0: Right, and I mean it's it's interesting to sort of reflect back on this because I don't know if you heard, but COVID's actually over here. Uh, yes, our, our president it's, decided. I don't know. Do you, are you all still have it? Because <laughs> I don't know if was, it's still a problem in Canada, but it is. I, I didn't up. know.
2: Yeah, I didn't know that, uh, that a president could just declare that, right? I mean, it is, it is very much here as well. You get the sense at this point that for most people it is no longer a matter of daily concern uh everything is reopened except weirdly uh the pacific buffet on bc ferries is one of the few things still closed <laughs> that used to be a thing um but for the yeah for the most part you know you will still see on the streets i would say about 5 to 10% of people wearing masks uh in crowded buildings or ferries or buses you uh Masks are still recommended, and you will will see you know maybe thirty to sixty percent of people wearing masks, depending on the situation and the bus and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, the culture has been different here in Canada. Uh, all throughout the pandemic, just in terms of the number of people buying into the health regulations. Mm. Uh, and But in terms of a declarative statement from our Prime Minister or Premier, no, that hasn't happened, although you can certainly see, even compared to three or four months ago, there's been a big shift in terms of how people are reacting.
1: It's it's really weird for me to think. Um, so I'm currently doing one of my stints in the hospital. I periodically will work in our local hospital um, taking care of patients there. And it really feels like people have just stopped thinking about it. To, <laughs> to, no, no one is concerned to anymore. Take
0: you back to that beginning phase, Justin, how did you st- – I remember, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have this experience – of especially pre-vaccines, sort of obsessively refreshing our county, uh, our actually it was the state right uh, website that would show the cases initially the state before the, sta- the
1: county got rolling. Yeah, yeah,
0: the state website like every single day as the new reports come in, we were absolutely beholden to that data. How did you, um, how did you sort of pro- process that early data where it's it's uh, there's so few cases coming in and watching it uh, balloon? What was it like in the in the early days?
2: Yeah, and and to your point there, Sydney, there's 305 people in hospital in British Columbia at at this moment uh, with COVID. And that normalization, both that normalization of that number and and just the fact it shows itself in all sorts of ways, both in that we don't talk about those daily numbers. It's now weekly in BC as Mm -hmm. much, uh, and it just gets flatlined in into people don't think about it. But uh, to your point, uh, Justin, when it started, uh it was very it it was very s- scary and uncertain in a sense of nobody knew where these numbers would go and it was the people's only way of really understanding what was happening at the time you know the thing that that i always talk about when uh we say how did people wrap their heads around this is traditionally in the news right when there's a story, it's about a person, and they have something, and they talk about how it impacted them, and we see them on the TV, or we talk to them, and it's very individual focus. But at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, you couldn't go into someone's house and, and film them a- right. and say how they were feeling. It was something that was spreading invisibly, in a sense. And so people had no conception of how bad it would get. And, you know, what does 10 cases mean in a day? What does 50 cases mean in a day? What does 100 or 200? And what does that mean for my sense of, are things getting better or worse? Or my chances of getting COVID? You know, I would have so many questions that would come in every day in the first few months of people asking, is it safe for me to do this activity? Or is it Mm -hmm. safe to me to do... That activity. And I would have to say, you know, uh, I am uh, I report on city halls, right? Uh, I, <laughs> I'd, I am looking at the numbers and I can show you the trend line and I can tell you uh, better than most, you know, are things on an OK trajectory right now or things spinning out of control. But people wanted all sorts of certainty about what was happening, where we were going and what their individual risk level was that was just impossible to provide. Uh, And like you said, once people started getting vaccinated, I think it stopped mattering as much sort of those daily numbers coming in, sort of like the stock market each day. Uh, It just receded as to, okay, that's interesting. Uh, But during that time where people couldn't do that and folks were still wrapping their head around basic knowledge of how this transmitted and what the symptoms were, the numbers were all people had, uh, and if you were dealing with the numbers every day, uh, it meant people really cared about what you were saying and how you were communicating it. But I always tried to remind people, look, this is an important part of the story. It's a part of the story that we can tell in a better way compared to past plagues and pandemics because health reporting is just much more advanced uh, and digitized than it was then. But it's only one section, and so there's only so much we can extrapolate from that.
1: It was interesting to watch. So the way the way that we did it here in West Virginia, our state, came up with its own color coded risk assessment system. Oh, oh, really? Yes, and it was actually different from the CDC's color coded risk assessment. Mm-hmm. It was like our own personal.
2: <laughs> that doesn't sound confusing at all. Uh, no, it was no, perfect.
1: and it well, it was. Um specifically, if you can believe this, it was aimed at trying to not just keep kids in school because the colors were used to decide if, if in-person school could happen, but also for school sporting events. That was, yeah. That and was a big one. That, that was a major concern in our area was that if the risk color was too high, then we'd cancel high school sports. But if the colors were... Better, so we invented new colors. In between gold, yes, we, <laughs> we gold we is did. the color
0: where you can play sports.
1: Gold, gold <laughs> is the color. There were days That's, where, that means
2: it's the best. Yeah, yeah the best.
1: there were days where you could play sports, but, but not maybe go to school. but not go to school. <laughs> And the and the entire county. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this was true all across the state. The entire county was obsessively watching, yeah. like refreshing for the yes. moment that the state would announce each morning, or the county would announce each morning what our color was. What is our color? What is our county color? And then immediately, this social media storm from angry parents or happy parents or right. No one know.
0: liked what color ended up. That had to be a
2: rough. No. <laughs> how how often did the colors change? I'm curious. Uh, it was
1: daily. It? daily, yeah. Daily.
2: Oh wow, yeah. See, we in in our province, and, and you know, much like in America, this was dealt with, uh, you know, on a state by state basis in Canada, province by province basis. We didn't really, we didn't have color codes, uh, and uh, the this government tried very hard to have a minimal amount of like minor shifts. They would do big shifts every once in a while and say these restrictions are now in or lifted, but they tried not to do regular tinkering. And on one hand. That's sort of good. It gives people certainty. It means that they don't have to wake up every day stressed. It's like, how is this going to change? Will my child be able to do things? On the other hand, it meant you know there would be daily press conferences with our health minister and our chief medical officer. And people would ask invariably, once you've been doing this 200 days in a row, the same sorts of questions uh, with hypotheticals. And uh, the health officials sort of went at a certain point, the guidelines we've put in are the guidelines and you need to make your own decision uh and so it is an interesting balance of what happens when you try and create you know make things more prescribed and try and react day to day and get people on board uh versus the complacency that can set in when you're not doing that and you can tell people, well, it's the guidelines, but if the guidelines have been the same for three or four months and you don't have special color coding happening, uh, some people are going to get more lax over time.
1: The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth.
0: Most
2: game shows quiz contestants about topics they don't even care about.
1: But for more than 100 episodes, the Go Fact Yourself podcast has asked celebrity guests trivia about topics they choose for themselves.
2: And introduced them to some of their personal heroes along the way.
1: Oh my gosh. Shut up. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm going to cry. Oh my, stuff. <laughs> It's
2: so, so Join me, Jake Keith Van Stratton,
1: and me, Helen Hong, along with guests like DJ Jazzy Jeff, Yardley Smith, Roxanne Gay, and so many more on the Trivia Game Show podcast, Go Fact Yourself.
2: Twice a month, every month on Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Hal Loveland. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. And we're the hosts of We Got This With Mark and Hal, the weekly show where we settle the debates that are most important to you.
0: That's right. What arguments are you and your friends having that you just can't settle?
2: Apples or oranges? Marvel or DC? Fork versus spoon? Chocolate or vanilla? Best bagel? What's the best Disney song? We Got This With Mark and Hal every week on Maximum Fun. We do the arguing so you don't have to. Oh, all answers are final for all people for all time. We got this.
0: How uh, – when you were watching the numbers uh, as, as this started and, and things were shifting very rapidly, were there times where you felt a sort of uh, – when you watched the actions of maybe public sentiment or the government where, that just simply w- was not in line with the data you were seeing? Like was it hard to fight the like chicken little sky is falling like si- situation where you're looking at these numbers and you know what the numbers are saying and you're hearing them interpreted or, or ignored in in different ways?
2: Uh, Yes. Um, (laughs) To put it mildly, you you know, it and this is one of those things where when you you have data daily with politicians, it creates that cognitive dissonance because most of the time, you know, a governor or senator would uh, say things are looking up in West Virginia. And you can say, well, who's to say? Right. Um, (laughs) But if you're if a premier of your province is saying, as he did, John Horgan Uh, In the middle of February, when cases were starting to rise, middle of March, when cases were starting to rise quite rapidly in BC, two weeks after they removed some restrictions, and people said... John, you just removed some restrictions, people can gather in large groups outside again, doesn't this seem wrong, given that numbers are rising? And he said, I'm confident we're on the right track. And he said this, and his government said this every day for like two or three weeks, while cases were trying to rise. And as a journalist, uh, where you know, you're caring about uh, balance and keeping your emotions in check, uh, it was very hard sometimes, because you're going, all right, you're displaying the facts and you're displaying them every day and you're pointing out that uh the, this is incongruous the rhetoric with what they're saying, but at the same time there's only so much you can do, right? Uh to, to all you can there's only so many times you can say what they're saying is not backed up by the data. And so uh when they changed uh eventually after 2 weeks of it going up and there were similar times where this uh narrative would play out. On one hand it's sort of gratifying that it's like okay they're finally looking at the data they're finally listening to what people are saying they've put things in place but on the other hand uh it's extremely vexing to know in the moment all you can do is just repeat this again and again while you know trying to remain even keel of it uh and that's all you can do uh Hmm. because you know we put our faith in these politicians and, and these public health officials and Their meetings that they're having in private where the politics and the health concerns are being debated and balanced, and we don't know exactly how those discussions go. Uh, And our job as communicators at the end of the day, we can point out those inconsistencies, uh, but we can't change what's going to happen on the ground.
1: And and I don't know if this was true there, but I know here, the way that that has kind of played out is that when I would hear, especially like the governor of our state saying that things were good or things were fine or things are going in the right direction and the the numbers said otherwise, you know, um, or if somebody in the media pointed out that the numbers said otherwise, usually now you're kind of it's blamed on you being negative or you're, mm. you're hanging on to this. You're clinging to this, that it's for political purposes or to make people look bad or just. I mean, that's usually like if the if the local media runs anything about COVID, all of the responses are why do you have to be so negative and always talk about COVID? What is everything's fine now? Like, oh, I hate this liberal media talking about COVID again. <laughs> <laughs> it really is seen as like, well, you only talk about it because you have a bad attitude. <laughs> yeah, the, you're living in the past.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that it has, the dynamic has shifted uh, over time. I would say throughout 2020 and 2021, uh, there was a lot of appetite to, uh, to be critical of the government when they did this. When we pointed out that, hey, what they're saying isn't backed up necessarily by the data at the, the moment, there wasn't necessarily a lot of pushback you know there were some people that were very pro-individual right shall we say uh the entire time that uh, d- would send uh, the emails and, t- and tweets and yell at you uh but but there was that real buy-in at least uh, in british columbia and most canadian provinces for that uh that being said you know now uh for a lot of people i don't do uh the charts daily anymore. I do them week every week or a couple weeks, partly because the data only comes out every couple weeks, but partly because uh there is only so much new information you can tell people. Uh but even now when I uh, when I do them, you get people replying saying, who cares? or move on or what does this have to do with life right now? And I'm like, oh, there's still three hundred people in hospital. There's still three or four or five people dying a day in this in our province of 5 million people, uh, I get that this is not a day-to-day ongoing concern for people anymore. And I think that's the, the thing that is difficult for some people to, to uh, wrap their heads around. The, the difference between, you know, something doesn't have to be a day-to-day. I'm thinking about it constantly in the same way that we were in 2020. But at the same point, uh, this is still an ongoing concern that you should be thinking about Sometimes, certainly, and should be in your brain at least a little distantly at all times. And to point out that it's still happening is not something that is, you know, uh, a stern or offensive statement to make or something that should be triggering, but just a statement on this virus existing and yeah. continuing to transmit um, uh, no matter how much it is frustrating that that is still the case absolutely
0: it's it's a uh, you know something you said struck me about how, how much data we had and this being the first pandemic where we had this amount of data being being shared this this rapidly and like it's fascinating for us because we've talked about pandemics so many times that to live through them and to see how these things happen and to see stories repeat, you know, the even the masking was like 100 percent out of the playbook mm-hmm. of, of when the, the – The influence of pandemic
1: of, of nineteen seventy. What
0: do you see now as, as having access to this data and, and reporting on the pandemic? What do you think in a public health crisis like this? What are the, li- what are the limits of data and what uh, can data do really well for us in a situation like this?
2: Uh, I think that data can really make stark – Uh, So long as it's consistent, consistently given, and and so long as there's a level of detail at a community level that uh, uh, shows that it's, yes, it's in your backyard. uh, It makes it hard for most people uh, to deny its existence, uh, to deny or to argue the fact of whether something is increasing or not you know we're very visual people right if uh, right. bob down the street is fine and everyone on my block is good then what do i have to worry about well if you have this every day um and it's creeping up yeah sometimes people might be skeptical but as soon as bob does get it you go okay well i guess that that w- was correct and to have that on a daily basis and and You know, it's not going to convince everyone, but I think for a large portion of the population, it really helps them wrap their head around things and adjust in a way that is much harder to do or certainly much more emotionally laden if it's all just you're hearing anecdotally what's happening. Uh, But in terms of its limits, uh, again, going back uh, to the the fact that it is not going to... uh, tell you everything. Uh, It is not going to let you know about a new variant that is coming in and how quickly it is because it takes health authorities time to start screening for these new variants, for example. And there can often be a lag time in terms of how long it gets in. So you might be, you know, it might be two weeks already uh, through your community and it's only then that the information gets posted to confirm that. Uh, And by the same token as well, it's still not going to convince everyone. Uh, And, you know, we this is a debate that happens across all sorts of political and policy issues now that there is one group of people that go, if we just present the data in a right way, surely people will agree that what we are doing or what we are proposing makes sense. Sydney's uh, shaking one. her head. <laughs> <laughs> right? But there, yeah. A, the, A there's some people that are, are never going to buy in. Uh, the, the way that they come to conclusions uh, spreadsheet is not going to help. And B, uh, the thing is, there can always be different data points, right? There would be times during this pandemic that I would say, look, the overall, like, hospitalizations across the province are down 20% in the last month. Things are looking sort of good. And somebody would say, well, what about, uh, you know, what about this, right? Hospitalizations in this specific place. Or I'm seeing over the last two days, the total number of daily admissions go up in these places. And I would say sometimes it's like, Look, those are certainly points uh, that you can make an argument that things right now are getting worse or flip getting better, depending on what they're showing. Uh, And everyone can interpret things a little bit differently. And so there's not just like this king data crown that is going to get everyone on side with the same framework. How did you? Oh, sorry, guys.
1: And, you know, what worries me now is um, our number. I mean, they're still reporting our numbers to some extent. Uh, We still get like the county alerts, but they're not colors now. It's like high, medium or low. Um, So we still get that. But so many people um, started doing home testing and there's so much um, on one side, I'd say there's still shame associated with getting COVID. People who don't want to admit that they did because then it somehow reveals that they broke some sort of guideline. And then on the other hand, there are people who don't want anyone to know that they have COVID or they're child has COVID or whatever because they need to go to work or they need their kid to go to school and they can't afford to be out for it. Um, and then there are a lot of people who just won't. I mean, I have patients who refuse to get tested because they don't believe it's real. They don't want the test. They think it's fake. Um, and so because of all that, I I feel like we never really know How many people actually have COVID at any given time? And I mean, we're moving to a point now in the U.S. where they're starting to talk about, well, no more free testing. We're going to have to end that. So you're going to everybody's going to have to pay for testing moving forward. No more free vaccines. That's not true yet. But at some point, I mean, eventually, that's in the U.S. Eventually, this stuff will become for profit. And then what what do we do? May not
0: know. See over here, medicine. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's not, i know you're thinking medicine that's a
0: free thing but we no, we wait, have a on. segment
1: we have a at our ad break during our show we call it the billing department and that's because yeah, right. <laughs> in the in the u.s
0: um justin if you could go back to yourself with everything you've learned um and and talk to yourself for a, a couple minutes right at the beginning of all this like what do you wish that you had known then what would you wish you could pass on
2: uh, I wish I could have told uh, myself, you know, this would this would be two and a half years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well,
0: uh, now, <laughs> hold on, Justin. Before you say that, are you sure? Are you sure that Justin then wants that? In for? I remember looking at yeah. people saying like twelve to eighteen months and thinking like absolutely no way on earth is this twelve to eighteen months.
2: You know, I. Yes, there is that risk. However, I go. You know, if I had known that, then maybe. Some of both my thought process of uh, how long this would take, but also the way that I communicated it, where it's like, you know, a lot of us went, once the vaccines are in place, things will be fine, right? Mm-hmm. To a quote, fine. And then yep. when it's not, and you go, okay, once we get through this, ver- once we get through the Delta variant, things will be fine. Uh, and that's because it seems like it but to just to have more skepticism and caution in how you're communicating it to people both so they don't get false hope and be so you know people don't become more cynical about the virus over time and you know the well we're all going to get it and it's going to be here forever so why should i care uh even a little bit about trying to protect myself that's one thing uh th- that would have been helpful uh to think about early on and then You know, the other thing is to just block out much more the uh, amount of anxiety and people yelling at you uh, one way or the other about how you should be looking at the pandemic differently, right? Uh, Yeah. And it was... You know, I went from someone that people cared about a little bit if they cared about local politics or thought it was funny that I had the same name as a famous podcaster to someone that lots and lots of people in this province suddenly started caring about (laughs) when he would put out the charts and what he was saying about how the pandemic was going. And, uh, you know, you start uh, looking at too many replies and start debating with people a little bit too much and knowing... Okay, this is this is a health crisis. This is not something where I need to have online brainworms of of arguing with folks. Uh, knowing early on that, yeah, this is going to last a bit. There's going to be all sorts of people with all sorts of arguments and anger and anxiety towards this the entire time. Uh, you've got to be able to dispel that away and focus on what can I say about the numbers and the data. How can it help people? what limitations there are and block everything out um, would have made the job just, you know, like 10% more peaceful over the last two and a half years. Who can say?
0: Um, well, hopefully you can say you're the data guy. You should be able yeah. to say
1: exactly how much. <laughs> do, you, do you now, are you tracking like we do here? Who's how many people are vaccinated? How many people, what percentage of this area? Yeah. You're following all that too. Cause that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's been a struggle here. So West Virginia, our state Jumped out ahead once the vaccines were available, and we had the we were like vaccinating people at the fastest rate, which um, even I mean, and not just your number. We have a very small population, but but our rate was really good, and we were top it's of actually the nation. Like Misery with
2: the
0: your province, it's
2: right around that right like All around like we got to about so we got to about like 93 94% for first doses wow uh, oh my gosh
1: no no we're no 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 <laughs> we're not, not no no we we jumped out in the lead but it's because we were incredibly efficient at delivering vaccines not because we had a population that was accepting of vaccines. We are now, if not 50th, <laughs> we're very low. We're,
2: yeah, we're 58th. So you we're... started off with a bang, and then, but the, the second tier of people th- that might have been persuaded were not exactly persuaded.
1: Right. Yeah, we vaccinated everybody who would accept it, and then no one else has accepted it, and so, so yeah. we dropped to the bottom of the yeah. list.
2: Yeah, no, and, and so one thing that's been interesting here is, yeah, our first uh dose pickup was about you know ninety three per- percent or so. Uh, but our second dose won about like eighty nine or so. Um. Uh, the, then, uh, the, but then the third dose, uh, which happened uh, post Omicron, was fifty three percent. So wow. suddenly only about sixty percent of people that got that second dose got a third one. And now at the fourth, uh, we're in the middle of doing that right now but it's only at 9.63%. It's very slow there. Um, And so it shows sort of like in real time and uh, cycle after cycle, just how many people feel getting an additional boost is important to them, despite the fact that all scientific literature uh, shows that it helps with your immunity and that there is a serious drop off somewhere between three to six months down the line from your past dose. And so, yeah, so that's what worries me going forward.
1: Yeah. to And to give you an example, so currently West Virginia is sitting at 64% have had one dose and we've got 55% who they're saying are fully vaccinated, but I guarantee you, they just mean two doses when they say fully vaccinated.
2: We say primary series now, and mm-hmm. then it's and then we have the data on the first and second one. And you you know, it's one thing right now for us to look around and say, yeah, some there's a few more people sort of sick every once in a while, and. Uh, Uh, It's not great, but we can go through this. Uh, But if another variant comes along that is uh, more dangerous and transmissible than BA-5, then how hard is it going to be to rebuild that faith with people to take the public health measures that were so crucial in the first wave? Uh, And that's, I don't know the answer for that. When I start thinking about the potential answer, it makes me pretty depressed. Uh, And... (laughs) You know, hoping that the worst thing doesn't happen has been a pretty poor strategy over the past few years yeah, uh, right. in, in many countries. Yes. Um, did
0: did you, Justin? It has occurred to me uh, while we were recording this show because largely because of how often we've talked about disease in the history. Like, it occurred. To, does, has it occurred to you the fact that like you are you are creating the sort of data that people in the future. Will look to to like contextualize this. Who,
1: whoever like, does this podcast in a hundred years, <laughs> right. two hundred years, great, great grandchildren. Yes.
0: <laughs> but have did, did I know that obviously I was a uh, a reporter for for several years. So like I know that it's very much a day to day job. But have you uh, taken any time to sort of reflect on the fact that you're uh, uh, creating a little bit of, of history right now?
2: Oh, okay. yeah, I mean, like, there's, uh, I have an agreement with the biggest universities in BC that I'm just uh, going to give them all of my spreadsheets uh, at, at the end of this. A weird thing, because our province has been very bad at sort of, like, publicly making a lot of this data accessible uh, in ways that aren't just, like, PDFs or little, like, info chart, infogram mm-hmm. charts, uh, is that it is strange that it is me providing this to universities and not, you know, a $40 billion government, but that's neither here nor <laughs> (laughs) there um but so you so uh, you know you're aware of that that it's going to be used in the future and then you know it's the when you're doing something every day in a very sort of repetitive way uh you realize by you know day 100 200 certainly by 500 600 or so that it's like this is a diary in its own way right uh it's not a long form book. It's a lot of pictures and, and snarky asides about weird things that politicians are saying in the moment. But it is, it, it is a compendium that you're vaguely aware that it's like, yes, you know, a few PhD students are going to use for their thesis five, six, ten years from now. Uh, and, and that's strange that, you know, as you said, as a journalist, you're in the day to day and then you move on to the next thing. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it makes you realize, and it has been strange, you know, in my personal life, when the, the rare time that, uh, someone will want to chat with me on the street or whatever, uh, it suddenly went from, that was a funny story you did about City Hall, or I disagree with you on what the third best hamburger in Vancouver (laughs) is, because I rank things as well, uh, but instead, just thank you for the charts, Mm. right? Uh, and... It is a strange place to be as a journalist, to, to know that you are providing that real first draft of history in a capital H way. Uh, but also it's very gratifying to know that you're helping people uh, make more sense of the world. That's part of the reason why we get into this.
0: You mentioned moving on to the next thing, as you, we've alluded to sort of interest in following cases and, and things like that daily is starting to wane have you started to pivot to other assignments at this point or do you know what the future uh, you know looks like for you right now
2: yeah, I mean, over the last uh, over the last year, it has been sort of a slow pivoting back to my job uh, as municipal affairs reporter. Uh, there is who was mining the store
0: over there during COVID. They were just going hog wild without a they, Justin McElroy type to keep an eye on them, huh? I,
2: I mean, there was a, honestly there was a little bit where I I did feel guilty that it's like there's a bunch of council meetings that ordinarily I would be at, and, and they are discussing things and passing some stuff and probably saying so, uh, some stupid stuff that. It's just it's not getting done. But you know, but you go. This is more important. And there were times that I had conversations with my bosses where they're like, "No, we need you." On the pandemic still, and it's like, you know, what I can't really argue with that. Uh, Now, you know, again, uh, while I can tell myself, uh, you know, there's local election on October fifteenth, and and there's so many municipalities here, uh, and it's important to break that down. Uh, this is still going on, and uh, there are still giant issues with our provincial government when it comes to transparency uh, and real issues with, you know, in Canada, in many provinces right now, uh, there are big doctor shortages, there are big nursing shortages, there are big paramedic shortages, and it's because so many people have gotten burnt out and left uh, the profession over, especially in the last year or so, they went, All right, I got over the hump over the worst of the pandemic. I need to do something else. And it's mm-hmm. creating ongoing strains. And those are stories worth uh, telling still. Uh, and the fact that there are other things that I want to report on and that my skill set can be worked on is something that causes some angst, you know, when it slowly, you go over the course of a year from, you know, it's 80% pandemic one month to like 75% the next, and then down and down. And now it's really only about 10-15% of my time. Uh, it makes it easier to deal with that. Uh, but people are still getting sick, and it's still something you think about.
1: Well, I appreciate you doing that, because I, leading a team of, of medical students and residents through the hospital who are, uh They're already burnt out and they haven't even embarked on their careers in our understaffed hospital and um, screaming in the hallways, COVID is still happening. How does no one know? I really appreciate that you're telling that story because it feels that way, uh, especially a lot in the work that I do that well, all of us in the medical profession are doing that the pandemic just kept going except nobody was paying attention anymore except us because that's our job too. Yeah.
2: And uh, the the split between people that have to care and react to it every day versus the vast majority of people that desperately mentally want it to move on for all sorts of valid reasons. But when you, I can't imagine, when you don't have that choice, uh, nine to five, it must create such a, a, a weird and sometimes disheartening mental split.
1: Mm-hmm. And absolutely. And we're seeing the same thing. Um, we can't we just can't get things done in the hospital the way we used to because we are so chronically understaffed in every on every level.
2: Justin, what's the
0: uh, best way for people to
2: find your work? out there uh they can go to i don't know if you know this justin but i have a website called justin oh yeah i know
0: a little something about it
2: justin might have come up uh they can go to cbc.ca slash bc if they see any stories about local politics chances are i have written it uh they can also check me out on the poison machine known as twitter.com at j underscore mcelroy uh you you have done a better job than me of dissociating from that website uh, and kudos on that. Um, and I am also on TikTok as the other Justin McElroy because sometimes a bit is too good to pass up.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. And yeah, thanks thank to you. you. For, I really enjoyed this. For listening. Uh, we will be back with you uh, next week. Thanks to taxpayers for the use of their song. Medicines as the intro and our program. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, my name is Justin McElroy.
1: I'm Sydney McElroy.
0: And as always, don't draw a hole in your head.